Good morning. Today's scripture reading is from Isaiah 40, 1 to 5, 27 to 31, and Matthew 1, 1 and 17. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed, that her sin has been paid for, and that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice of one calling, in the wilderness prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be raised up, every mountain and hill made low. The rough ground shall become level, the rugged places a plain, and the glory of the Lord will be revealed. And all his people will see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Why do you complain, Jacob? Why do you say, Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord? My cause is disregarded by my God. Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary, and his understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary, and young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. This is the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Thus, there were 14 generations in all, from Abraham to David, 14 from David to the exile to Babylon, and 14 from the exile to the Messiah. The word of the Lord. It's, it's good to be with you at church. You know, I was just thinking as you were singing and as Ruthie was reading, I sometimes Sunday morning worship service is like a great reorienting event. I feel like I just woken up from a nightmare. All the weak things that I was worked up by. But as a church, as you were singing together, I found my heart strangely comforted. I found my heart strangely this is what I meant to do, to sing together with the people of God. That was so encouraging to me. And I pray that as you walk along through the scripture this morning, as you open up the word of God today, that may he comfort you, all your troubled heart. I don't know what kind of nightmares you had this past week, but it's good to be in the house of the Lord, worshiping together, opening up God's word together. I pray that he will speak to you this morning as you dive in. Uh, we are human, Chelton, obviously. What an intro. And that means that we all have all our desires, and we want our desire to be fulfilled exactly in a way that we would like. And yet, when the desires of your heart, when the expectation of your heart, when the comfort that you desire is unmet, typically speaking, uh, we get startled. We get flustered dejected, angry, frustrated. 
But there is sometimes rare moment in your life, things that you are pursuing and desperately want doesn't happen. And yet, strangely enough, you find relief rather than frustration because in hindsight, you realize that all the things that you have desired of only trapped you further into that. If only I have this. If only circumstance work out to be that way, I will be okay. You realize that that's illusion. Uh, the shallow comfort that I sought after is not going to cut it. Perhaps it's the money, promotion, that you desperately desire that doesn't happen. As much as you wanted it, you begin to realize things that you wanted were trapping you and releases us from expectation and shallow comfort that shackled us. Uh, what is that for you? What kind of comfort are you pursuing today? I am trying to say, be careful for what you wish for. Sometimes in my desire, you get it. That only further trap you. And we pray that as you dive in the Word today, that you will cultivate an appetite to look for the comfort that doesn't just dwell on the fulfillment of your desire, but something that is so much more permanent, that is so much more life-giving that may we be the people of God that move from great expectations of life to great expectancy of Him. May you look for His goodness and comfort that He can come. Because the way Jesus came, the way He arrived was very unexpected. But through that, He had saved us and redeemed us, and that is comforting. I pray that that hope will penetrate your heart as it has my heart this morning and as it has my heart throughout the week. So throughout the Old Testament prophets, they always foretold that the Messiah will come as we are studying about the theme of arrival. But the way he arrived was very unexpected. So today we are exploring this unexpected comfort came in and came from first. He came in in such unexpected timing. Second, this unexpected comfort, the Savior of our Lord Jesus, came in such unexpected lineage. And third, he came from such unexpected vessels. And through that, we will learn how the coming, the arrival of Jesus Christ comforts our hearts. So if you notice today, we have read both Isaiah 40 as well as Matthew 1. So before I go dive into Matthew and genealogy of Jesus, let me explain what happened in Isaiah 40 that Ruthie just read it for us. In order to properly understand Isaiah 40, I hope you go there so you understand what I'm talking about, you need to know what happens Isaiah 1 through 39, the chapter that leads up to Isaiah 40. When you look at those chapters, Isaiah 1 through 39, yes, there is some note of hope, but by and large, it's a pretty depressing book. <laughs> 1 through 39 is one chapter after chapter after chapter. Judgment, 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 because all the sins that Israelites has done. Yes, there's messianic hope that is to come, but by and large, there are three large sections in that book, in the three, 1 through 39. It's the coming judgment. And it culminates in chapter 39, uh, if you look at verse 5 there, Isaiah 4 tells the exile of Israelites. They'll be homeless. Let me read the 39.5. He says, Then Isaiah said to Hezekiah, Hear the word of the Lord Almighty. The time will surely come when everything in your palace 
and all that your predecessors have stored up until this day will be carried off to Babylon. Nothing will be left, says the Lord, and some of your descendants, your own flesh and blood, who will be born to you, will be taken away. That's how the chapter ends. Everything that you worked for will be lost. You will be homeless. You will be exiled to Babylon. But then, out of nowhere, chapter 40 breaks through. It's so startling contrast that even Bible scholars often don't know how to make sense of that. Read how the chapter 41 begins. In the middle of darkest of dark, there is comfort that is to come. For chapter 40, verse 1 begins by saying, Comfort, comfort, my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed, that her sin has been paid for, and that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. The verb word comfort used there becomes such a key word in the second half of the book of Isaiah as it is listed here, repeated here, listed in 49, 51, 52, 61, 62. Throughout the second half of Isaiah, the theme of comfort gets really pronounced over and over. And why and how is this comfort found, Isaiah says? It's because your sin has been paid for, verse 2. Because through the Lord's double hand, Lord's hands that is going to come. It's a big deal that they'll be comforted finally after all the judgment after judgment. And what is this Lord all about? Yahweh, that is to come, capital L-O-R-D. Look, verse 3, how this big deal is going to come here. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be raised up, every mountain and hill made low. The rough ground shall become level, the rugged places a plain. And the glory of the Lord will be revealed, and all people will see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. I mean, what is this? Is this talking about a construction project? Make a highway for the Lord's straight path. This is prophesying the coming, the arrival of our Lord and Savior Jesus. And this prophecy is fulfilled through the ministry of John the Baptist. If you look at the four Gospels, all four Gospels tells and quotes this passage about the coming of the Lord. As John the Baptist cries out in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Something big deal is to come. Yet, what does it mean here, Isaiah tells it? Prepare the way of the Lord. Make a highway. Is it really talking about construction project? Is it literally, metaphorically, figuratively? What is this? To us, this is perplexing. All we get there is sense is that something big deal is coming. But for those ancient readers, I should say ancient listeners, will understand exactly what this meant. Because in those ancient days, when the king is coming to a new town or town that hasn't been really visited for a long time, they would literally build a new highway. They would build a new boulevard for the king to march in. The king will not just take the byway, but build a new highway, a new boulevard, so the king could march into that town. Like, I know it's not quite, I think it's typically February. It's Oscar happens, right? I think it's, I don't know what month it is exactly. But like there's red carpet rolling and something big deal is coming. All of those actors and actresses beautifully dressed. And they show off their beauty, their greatness, their achievement. 
Or if you haven't seen Oscar, maybe some of you guys have seen the presidential march. What do they do? The beast, the limo comes before the secret service, like block out all the lights. They change the lights so the king's way will not be blocked, the president's way, and they march in. But this is a whole new level. They would literally just build a road for the king to come in because this king, Messiah, is a big deal. But this whole new level came and arrived actually in such unexpected way that everyone missed it. There was no brand new boulevard, brand new highway. In fact, the king of the universe has come and he was laid in a food bowl of a donkey and a horse. Isaiah said, comfort, comfort, this glorious king will come to comfort you. But the way Jesus arrived was so unexpected that just about everyone missed it. So how did he come about? Yet, how does this strangely comfort us is the question we want to explore today. First, having said that, go to Matthew chapter 1. This is the glorious chapter, Matthew chapter 1, that everyone gives annual Bible reading at this point. Bunch of names of genealogy of Jesus. There's like, what is this name all about? I mean, in fact, this is how English Bible of the New Testament begins. And you're like, Matthew just wasted the ink space. Who cares? He used to think that way. But no, there's some, such a glorious truth in that. First, how did he come? He came in such unexpected timing. Read verse 1, Matthew 1. We'll spend majority of our time there. This is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Guess what? Our Matthew just went way back. He went all the way back to Abraham 2,000 years ago to trace the lineage of Jesus. And what happened in the Abraham's time, God shows up. And tells Abraham, hey, you will bear a son. There will be an heir. And that heir, through that heir, your descendants will be numerous. And physically and spiritually, that promise has been fulfilled 2,000 years later. What a timeline. If somebody, if you promise me something, church, oh, you better not let me wait for 4,000 years. Uh, That's almost a malpractice. You cannot do that. Not only that, at least throughout the Old Testament, prophets constantly foretell, just like Isaiah does here, comfort, comfort my people. There will be the coming of the Lord who will meet your needs of comfort. He will console you. Yet, the last prophet Malachi to this Matthew 1 genealogy, 400 years of silence. Like, I'd be like, where are you? You promised that you will come. Don't you know my needs? Don't you know, God, all the prayers that I've been having? God, you better not let me wait 4,000 years. God, you better not let me wait the 400 years of silence. What do we learn from this, Chelton, first? That God's timeline will often confound our timeline. What are the things that you're praying for today? (laughs) See, what we want is immediacy rather than eager expectancy of him. We want this immediacy, fulfillment of our desire right now, rather than eagerly waiting upon His goodness, His promise to be fulfilled. To the degree that you have been earnestly praying for, oftentimes that much easier to get impatient. But Chelton, will you rest? He might not grant all the desires of your heart as you exactly want, but He will grant His goodness to you, even in that moment of waiting. You can bank on that. Jesus says, come, and he will come again. This is the promise of God. 
we have been saying that. You can bank on that. Yes, his timeline will be very different than your timeline. But you can rest that he's good to you. He sees you and he hears you. What God has foretold Abraham 2,000 years ago before he arrived. Throughout the Old Testament prophet, that there will be the one who will come and comfort. Now he has arrived. He's faithful to keep his promise. First and foremost, we see that how he's promised that. Secondly, this unexpected comfort came from such unexpected lineage. What I mean by that, when you read the Bible, Old Testament and also the New Testament, a lot of Old Testament says, so-and-so is what? Son of so-and-so. And when you read Matthew 1, famous King James B, KJV, who begets so-and-so, there are a bunch of names. Why is that? Is Matthew just waste ink? I mean, we don't read it. Oftentimes, you're like, oh, let's skip that. Too many read names. I don't even know how to pronounce that. Yeah, back in those ancient days, times of ancient it, Israel and Palestine days, they didn't ask, when you meet somebody, they didn't ask you, hey, what do you do for a living? Uh, just, you know, sometimes you ask that as a greeting. Sometimes you ask it to size up somebody, however you use that. Hey, what do you do for a living? Back in the days, they didn't ask it. Instead, they asked, hey, who's your father, by the way? Because back in the days, individual accomplishment didn't matter. The indicative, it was believed that your lineage, your pedigree, your family tree would be the truly indicative of the type of person you would turn out to be. So in a sense, this was the resume of Jesus Christ in one sense. How is his lineage proved the king of Jews' worthiness? And what do you do when you write your resume at church? You try to highlight your strength and hide your weakness, right? You don't really write, oh, this is all the things I'm really bad at. No, none of you do that. You try to highlight your strength. But his family tree is nothing but a lot of flaws there. You will see that just in a moment. Because Jesus, Matthew, does not hide Jesus' lineage, but he almost plainly just lists, lists out to encourage us. And back in the days, since the resume was so important, genealogy, if you read an example of King Herod, who was known as the king of Jew, he's famously known as the one who purged out all his family lineage. So because he was known as the king of Jew, he wanted to show his purity, the Jewish lineage. In fact, he was not fools. He was only half-Jew. His father's side was Edomite, the descendant of Esau. So in his genealogy, purged that, take that, all that out to show, guess what? I am worthy to be the king of the Jews. But is Jesus' lineage like that? Not at all. I mean, look, verse 5, what does it say? Matthew 1, Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab, Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Here and amid the genealogy of Jesus Christ, king of the Jew, king of the universe, came from actually outsider, Rahab, who was a Canaanite, Gentile. Not only that, Ruth there, she was a Moabite, another outsider. In verse 3, there's Tamar, it's listed, it's debatable whether she's Jews or Gentile. In verse 6, there's Uriah, the Hittite. He was born Jew, but spent time among the Gentiles, among the Hittites. Why would it do that? Matthew plainly shows. First of all, he's trying to show that Jesus came from outsiders. That all the Herod tried to purge out his lineage to show his purity, worthiness to be the king. But Jesus proudly come from those outsiders and are marginalized. Not only that. As I mentioned, in the Old Testament, so-and-so is the son of so-and-so. Oftentimes, it's always patriarch. 
Nobody came about, cared about whether whose mother was. They always ask, who's your father? But here, among 42 men, Matthew includes five women in Jesus' genealogy that nobody cared about. Yeah, why is that? There's Tamar, verse 3. There's Rahab. We read that. Uh, there's Ruth, Bathsheba. Bathsheba listed as Uriah's wife and Mary, the mother of James. Matthew is trying to tell us something here. That Jesus arrived in such unexpected timing. And Jesus arrived in such unexpected lineage. And not only that, through that, Matthew tried to show us that Jesus arrived from such unexpected vessels. Yes, there's a line of King David listed in the genealogy too. But not only that, these are the, not necessarily hall of the famer that are listed in the genealogy. There's Tamar in verse 3. Who was she? By force, she was caught in the relationship of incest. Who was Rahab? He was not only Canaanite, but a prostitute. Who was Bathsheba? By force, she was caught in an adulterous relationship by King David. Jesus came in such a quote-unquote flood lineage. According to Deuteronomy guideline, these people are unfit, unclean to worship. But Matthew's not hiding that. Herod would have purged out all those names. But Matthew plainly shows that the Savior of the universe came from such unfit, unexpected vessels. What is Matthew trying to do? Not only that, this is a lineage of all the sinners. It, this is not necessarily a lineage of the royalty. Verse 2, Abram was father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob. Isaac, all his life, struggled with the favoritism. If you have your favorite child over another, that will create family dysfunction. The father favored Esau while the mother favored Jacob. They created family conflict all over the map. Jacob was, has become a deceiver as well. This is a one messed up genealogy. What is going on here, Chelton? The way Jesus arrived, it's not an error or a mistake that Jesus arrived and came this way. But this was God's deliberate choice to use an outsider and marginalized being for his glory. If our God came from such unfit and unfit lineage, and he died for everyone and each one of them, the love and the grace of God is available to all of us who are gathered here this morning. Whether you think you're unfit to be here, you might say, Jen, I am nobody. Nobody sees me. Nobody cares. Whether you think you have committed worst sins, and regardless of the circumstances you are born into, regardless of circumstance you are finding yourself today, he is faithful to carry out his will in your life, church. You can be comforted by that. You are not permanently scarred and stained by your mistakes and the flaws of your past. There's no longer scarlet letter on your chest. But there's only the name of Jesus written in your heart. Jesus came in. We are now his children descendant. He came from such the lineage of sinners to show us that the king of the universe came from such outside line, outsiders. And he came through such broken vessels. And that is deeply comforting to me. Why? Because sometimes even I know, sometimes I ask, God, can you even use me? I feel so unfit. I feel like I don't know what I'm doing. 
But when I read the gene- genealogy, this family tree of Jesus, if God even used the food bowl of a donkey to lay down the king of the universe, God, I take comfort that you can't even use me today. This unexpected vessel, broken vessel, I offer myself to you today. So Chelton, take heart wherever you are. If our king arrived in such unexpected timing, you can wait on the Lord even today with all your unmet desire and expectation. God, this is hard, but I'm going to bank on the promise of your goodness that you will come through. And as a New Testament people of God, we are waiting on his arrival one more time, right? The ultimate comfort that we desire, he will come before you know it. In the meantime, He used such an outsider to show off his glory. Jesus, in a sense, came from such an unfit king's genealogy from the point of the world. But this king would save the world by being an outsider, by being unfit, in a sense. He becomes a sin for us. How does it become really comfort? Go to the last verse of Matthew's genealogy, you might ask today. What does it say? Thus, there were 14 generations in all from Abraham to David, 14 from David to the exile to Babylon. We just talked about exile to Babylon in Isaiah. And 14 from exile to the Messiah. Here, while the Israelites were led out of exile to Babylon to bring us from that exile, homelessness to homecoming, our Savior will become the ultimate exile. He really was born to bleed it. That he himself becomes the ultimate exile on the cross of Jesus Christ 30 years later. He didn't come in red carpet. He didn't come in a brand new boulevard. But he came with old rugged cross in his mind. And he would walk up the faithful hill for us to love you to death, to make you feel like I am sin. The savior of the universe came from the outsider. And he would die for an outsider like me. He sees me. Isn't it so encouraging when you feel like somebody finally gets you? As in like, oh man, I'm tired of being misunderstood. I feel tired of unseen. Guess what? The king of the universe sees you. He came that way. He died away. He became the ultimate outsider on the cross for love. To give you that unexpected comfort. We thought the comfort would only come from the security of life. Circumstance going exactly as we think it should go. We thought comfort will come from the fulfillment of our desire. But unexpectedly, the Savior of the universe came in weakness, died in weakness, gave us this incredible, unexpected, and yet ultimate comfort that you and I needed today. And guess what, church? What is our glorious hope in that? Not only Jesus died for us, on a three-day, he will rise again. He rose again, and we will rise with him once again. And to the degree that you have suffered, the Lord will comfort you when you rise and see him face to face. I live for that day, and I die for that day. I can die in peace knowing that my God sees my suffering, my frustration, and he'll comfort me. That moves me. I cannot live without that. Knowing that we will rise with him again, perhaps that's what Isaiah meant. Isaiah 40, we read the second half. What does it say? 29 and 31. He will give strength to the weary. 
and increases the power of the weak. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. This future promise becomes our present strength. You will soar like eagles one day. There will be no more sorrows, no more pain. All you know is that, yes, today, right now, because I have the future promise, I'll take heart, knowing that one day I will rise with him and I'll be with him. I will no longer be exiled. I'll no longer be outsiders. But I'll have the intimate fellowship with our God. And there will be no weary, no sorrow, because he has seen our sadness. He has seen our sorrow. He came. He came for us, arrived in unexpected time through unexpected lineage to show that God uses unfit, broken vessels for, your, for his glory. So, Shelton, what does your story look like? Sometimes do you feel like, God, is there hope for me? I pray that you take heart. God can use your broken vessels. If there is a hope of the world, Jesus shows that even through his flawed lineage, that the Savior of the world came from flawed lineage. And he died for us and sees all our flaws and failure and uses that for his glory. Jesus has come, and he will come again. Let's bank on the promise of God. Let's pray together. Oh, God, I would like to only show off my resume of strength, things that I do really well. I don't like people seeing my weakness, and sometimes as a result, I feel like a fake because I'm desperate to show off my strength and my greatness. But God, through the Matthew, you just plainly list out your lineage and how you choose to use the outsider and marginalized to bear the king of the universe. So God, perhaps there are some of us here who are, there's no hope, there's no comfort in our heart, feeling like we are in 24-7 exile in our lives. God, would you comfort us and encourage us in our suffering that you see us in our suffering that we are not alone and that comfort that Isaiah foretold has come. It arrived, and yet we are waiting for the comfort once again. A Savior, you have come to bleed for us, and you rose again, and that the promise is that you will come once again. So today, O oh Lord, would you reorient us from finding comfort in all the things that desires of our heart cries out so loud to the permanent comfort that you provide? I don't know how I can manufacture that. I, in fact, know that I cannot. But, oh Lord, I pray that you continue to warm our hearts as we sing, as we pray, as we move out of this worship center to fellowship and to the weekly life. Move us, comfort us, reorient our comfort and hope in you, Christ. Oh God, we are so thankful that you have arrived us. May we fix our hope in you and you alone. In your precious name we pray, amen.